In today's reading from 1 Kings, we get dropped into a momentous occasion in the life of ancient Israel. David's son Solomon has finally gotten a temple built to house the Ark of the Covenant, that thing which will go missing at the end of a wonderful Harrison Ford movie. David had wanted to build a temple for God, but God said no to David's request, apparently because David had been too much of a sinner. God had forgiven David for his adultery, murder, and theft, and God, as we heard, had entered into a covenant with David, promising that David's house, his dynasty, would sit on Israel's throne forever. This is one of the reasons why Matthew's gospel goes out of its way to try to locate Jesus within Matthew's genealogy. I'm sorry, David's genealogy. But God apparently didn't want the prestige of building God's house to fall to David, so Solomon got the honor, although frankly, he wasn't much of an improvement on his father. Solomon hired the best architects and craftsmen from all over the Near East. He arranged for a lot of slave labor. He had enormous amounts of cedar imported from Lebanon. He had gold and jewelry and every other luxurious decoration he could think of incorporated into the fabric of this, the new dwelling place of God. And then, when it was finished, there was an enormous public celebration to mark the occasion. One wonders what God thought about his new digs. Up until this time, God had been a nomadic sort of God, a Bedouin deity. At the time of the flight from Egypt, back before the first covenant with Israel, God had led the people in safety, taking the form of a moving pillar of cloud by day and a moving pillar of fire by night. God would appear briefly in the tent of meeting, which Moses and the others carried with them as they wandered through the desert. When they made camp, the tent of meeting would be raised, and Moses would go inside to talk with God face to face, as it were. Later on, in the days of the ancient leaders called judges, who were actually military leaders, not jurists, in the days of the judges, when a crisis would come upon the loosely federated tribes, God would appear, as if out of nowhere, to inhabit the judge for a brief time until the crisis was averted. Somewhat later, God would inhabit the lives of the men we know as prophets to communicate messages of importance to the nation, again for limited periods and for specific reasons. And along the way, the people of Israel came to believe that God's presence was with them in the ark, which supposedly contained the tablets of stone which Moses lugged down from Mount Sinai way back when. Although God's presence was thought to be concentrated in the ark, and although men now controlled where the ark went, God was still on the move, sort of. Not quite as nomadic as in the old days, but still mobile and still in the middle of the bustle of his people's lives. And now God had been given this ginormous great palace to live in. He had been given the most important room, too, an empty space right in the middle of the temple, into which only once a year one man would come to pray. It sounds lonely to me. It makes me think of Jorge Bergoglio, an archbishop in a frenetic diocese, who suddenly had his living circumstances wildly constricted when he was elected pope. Once he was in the middle of everything, in touch with the sounds and smells of his people. Now, if he's not careful, 
he will be hermetically sealed up in a great beautiful palace and out of touch with everything. I wonder if God felt this way when he had been shown into his new quarters and heard the door lock behind him. Now, I don't for one minute think that God had been shut up in a box, whether the little box of the ark or the big box of the temple. But it helped the kings of Israel to be able to to suggest that they and God somehow had a special relationship now that God lived in Jerusalem. It helped the kings to be able to suggest that God sort of owed them because they had gone to all the trouble and expense of building God a really nice house, only the king's house was nicer. The temple helped them consolidate and then then hang on to power for a long time. But just think about the temerity of this. Think about the fantasy these men were living in. The kings thought that they could fit God's story into their story, so God's story would support their agenda. But God calls all of his followers to do exactly the reverse, to fit our stories and lives into God's story and life, so we support God's agenda. God was then and is now a God who dwells with his people. God does not live in a box to which only one man has privileged access. God lives right in the chaos and confusion of life, life as most of us know it. This is one of the reasons that John's Gospel points repeatedly to God's incarnation in Jesus, however you understand incarnation. John's point was and is that holy God came to pitch his tent with us again, to dwell among us, and indeed to live in us always. And John's Jesus also tells us that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rested on the judges and inspired the prophets, Jesus also tells us that the Spirit of God blows where it will. You hear the sound of it, he said, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. The Spirit is free. God is free. And God is on the move right here and right now. Amen.